This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, April 24th, 2010. I'm Paul Fox. And I'm Kevin. Glad to be back. Ma. And this is episode 24. We've been gone for a while, um, just almost a month to the day. Kevin, what have you been up to? Well, um, anyone who follows me on my blog or Love Ishe Film or my Twitter will know that I was quite busy at the Hong Kong International Film Festival. Um, I saw a total of 28 films. Um, and this after I, this after deducting the stuff I didn't watch. And uh, I'm still uh, starting on part two of the, the festival, which is the Long Kong Retrospective. Uh, how about you, Paul? Well, as you know, if you've been uh, following along with what I've been posting up on the website on occasion and some of my Twitter posts, I mentioned that I spent the last month basically moving house. Um, didn't actually move that far. I think if you calculated the distance from the place I moved from to the place I'm at now, it's probably less than, you know, 300 yards in a straight line. I basically moved one village over. But it's definitely an upgrade in terms of the view, in terms of the feng shui, as my partner would put it. Um, and so we're both a lot happier in this new place. But it was, you know, anytime you have a move, it's it kind of uproots everything. You've got to put everything in boxes, and then you've got to spend, you know, the day of moving that comes, and then weeks and weeks of unpacking and trying to find where you put stuff and trying to find that cable that you desperately need or that one pair of shoes that you need for work. So slowly but surely, things have gotten back to normal, and we are back to bring you the latest and greatest in Hong Kong cinema, Asian cinema, and world cinema. And so, Kevin, you mentioned you spent quite a lot of time watching movies over the um, past break with the International Film Festival here in Hong Kong. What do you think? Did you have any favorites? Um, I think Asian-wise, uh, my favorite would be uh, a Chinese film called Apart Together. It was the opening film, I believe, in Venice or Berlin. It's one of the big three, definitely not Cannes. Um, it stars uh, 83-year-old actress Lisa Liu. Uh, it's a story about a, one of the old nationalist party soldier who goes back to China to see his uh, ex-wife after 43 years away from China. So it, it's quite a, it's not a really political story at all. There's no uh, political content and it's just a really um, touching story about, you know, lost love and things like that. It's, it's quite surprisingly quite a good film. But uh, actually, I was kind of disappointed in the two closing the uh, films, um, Amphetamine by uh, Hong Kong's favorite undressed director, Scud. And uh, and I guess, you know, you, you don't, if you've seen Scud films, you kind of have your own expectation for what a Scud film would be like, and Amphetamine would be, would follow that expectation. Um, now, is there, but I'm more... Is there, sorry, is there, like, for people who maybe haven't seen his films, is there perhaps an international equivalent um, you know, because his films are typically uh, gay themed. Is that correct? Yes, yes, very heavily gay films. Yeah, so they're uh, they're they're kind of very much in your face. Um, they're they're not subtle about the relationships that are presented. Uh, they're not subtle about both the relationship and nor I mean visually they're not subtle at all. I mean you get, um, 
a man who is in doubt of his sexuality seeing his uh, potential mate uh, taking a shower and you see multiple shots of him going to, of the camera going up and down. That's the kind of level Scud plays on it. In a way, it, it's it's good because you don't. It's very rare to see a Hong Kong director, or even a Chinese director, go that far in portraying homosexuality. Uh, that kind of honesty, but um, he is also very um, self indulgent, in a way, um, in in the way he presents his themes, in the way he tells his story, and how much he loves to put himself in the films. So, Amphetamine is really more of the same, mm. um, although not not as much as um, his previous film uh, permanent residence where essentially the entire film is his life story mm. yeah right. but um i'm actually uh, about the other closing film was a uh, hayward max uh latest hayward mac um made quite an explosive debut with um high noon have you seen high noon paul i have not seen it i've heard some pretty good things about it yeah so this is her second film but uh and it's also the return of uh Jillian Chung, uh, the ex, or now again twins member, who was um, quite affected by the photos gate scandal. Uh, this is her first leading role since the scandal, and she was really good in the film. But um, but it got kind of too involved with its own flashback structure and this kind of lack of story and its kind of teenage or young young love uh, uh, atmosphere. It, it's it's kind of disappointing. But mm. even though. Well, sing, uh, I mean, their individual aspects are very good, but it's kind of disappointing considering what Heyman Mack did with her previous film. All right. Um, aside from the International Film Festival, there's been quite a lot of buzz going on uh, in local movie circles. We've had both the Hong Kong Film Awards this past weekend, as well as the LoveHongKongFilm.com Awards. So, Kevin, you want to give us uh, some of the highlights that came out of these two uh, award ceremonies? Sure. Um, first, the uh, Hong Kong Film Awards. Well, both, I have I have kind of a stake in both, but uh, more so for Love, Love HK Film Awards because I had a part in, in voting for it. Uh, of course, Paul as well. Uh, Best Picture uh, went to uh, Documentary, KJ, which was also nominated for Best Picture at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, Best Director went to John Woo. Um, Best actor, that was a surprising pick because I definitely didn't vote for this. Louis Koo in accident. Um, Paul, did you vote for this? Yeah, he was he was my pick um, for, for uh, the the best actor. Uh, I really liked that film, and I liked that film primarily because of him and his performance in that. So, uh, yeah, guilty as charged. I was uh, <laughs> one of the people who voted for him for that role. Um, yeah, but he didn't win a, for the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, he, he didn't get a nomination. Yeah, he, he lost out to um, Simon Yam for Echoes of the Rainbow. Yeah, um, well, he didn't even get nominated, actually. He didn't get nominated for neither uh, Overheard or uh, or Accident. Um, even though, yeah, Lao Ching won, um, which was also nominated for the FK Film Award, also lost at the Hong Kong Film Awards uh, yet again, <laughs> sadly. Um so best back to uh, Love Shape Film Awards. Best actress went to uh, Equation Love Equation of Love and Death's Zhou Xun. Um, this was actually a bit of a controversial choice, wasn't it? Because we had a bit of a debate about where this film would qualify for the awards. Yeah. Um, because um, it's primarily a Chinese film, but I think we decided that Zhou Xun was a 
Hong Kong based actress. Uh, well, legally she's now a Hong Kong resident, so I guess that counts. Um, uh, best supporting actor um, deservedly went to Nicholas Se for Bodyguards and Assassin. Uh, best supporting actress went to Zhao Wei, uh, Vicky Zhao for Redcliffe Two. Even though Michelle Yeh, who was a, also a nominee in the this category, won at the Hong Kong Film Awards, and I think deservedly, deservedly for for Accident. Um, Best uh, screenplay went to Night and Fog, and um, skipping all the other other awards, we'll go to the worst film, uh, which went to Joe Ma's Give Love. Yeah. And um, so, we, what do you think about the? Well, picks? we yeah. do we do need to point out that, um, or, or at least I should say, there was a worse film than Give Love. I will accept that Give Love was a bad film, but the unbelievable still puts Give Love to shame, and so we had to set up a special category for the unbelievable. Um, but it couldn't win because not enough of the jurists had seen it. And those that did had said so many bad things about it that the remaining jurists did not want to see it. Um, so <laughs> it, it ultimately created a new category of all of its own. And if you remember, yes. I actually did a guest review over on uh, lovehongkongfilm.com of the film because it, it infuriated me so much that they would release this theatrically. Um, <laughs> that I just had to voice out my rage. Um, but yeah, one of the more interesting wins at the Hong Kong Film Awards, I thought, was for Best Screenplay, which went to Echoes of the Rainbow. And I was a bit shocked by that because I'm wondering if that was sort of a nod to the fact that the film had won um, uh, what it won the, the, the Crystal Bear or mm. what was the award that it won in Germany? I believe the Crystal Bear. Yeah. Yes. And because I did not think that the script was all that strong. I did not think it was really um, worthy of a win compared with some of the things it was up against. So I was surprised that it won. I was happy that Simon Yam won for his role because, you know, him, as, I, as we had mentioned when we talked about the film, I think both he and Sandra mm, carried the movie. They were the best parts of the movie. But overall, I did not think the script was was all that special. I was I was a bit surprised and disappointed with that one selection. Also, with Echoes of the Rainbow, wasn't um, is it Arif who won as the best yes. new Arif. best newcomer? Yeah, yes, I didn't Arif. think he was that good in the film. Uh, to be honest, um, I don't know. It's maybe I'm being too critical of the film, and but we and we've talked about that before. I don't want to cover old ground, but. I was just really surprised by those choices. I was happy to see Simon Yam win. I was also very happy to happy to see um, Ho Ying Hong or Wai Ying Hong win uh, for Best Actress. Although I have not seen the film um, yet, I do look forward to seeing that. But what about you, Kevin? What did you were you were there any was there anything you were disappointed or overly glad to see win? Well, I think we're on the same level uh, as far as about Echoes of the Rainbow. I'm not surprised that it won because. It has gotten, it has built up so much buzz and so much uh, good word of mouth here that it was going to win pretty much anything that it was nominated for. It grows, it is, I believe, is um, the highest grossing local film. No, I think 7 to 10 has had that. I think it's one of the highest uh, grossing local films so far this year. It grows even more than Bodyguards and Assassin. Um, and and it's a really, really popular film out here. It's it's creating this cult, I mean, literally cultural phenomenon about uh, nostalgia and everything like that. So like I'm definitely not surprised to see um, it win that many awards. And I'm sure now 
the uh the, the film company and and the director and and uh Mabel Mabel Chen as well. I'm sure they're beating themselves now for not waiting until next year's awards for not just letting letting um following the rules because how they got in was that they they did a uh, one day of screening last year, I think in December in a Mongkok theater, five shows mm-hmm. one day and that's how it got yeah, I think God, uh, I think I remember you. Worship. We were talking about that on, that on the podcast, and you were saying that in fact they were screening it, but they weren't allowing anybody to actually see it. Oh, and that was fourteen blades. Actually, this one broke sort of the general rule is that they actually let people buy tickets. I got in. Actually, I first saw the film okay. at one of those. So screenings. it was fourteen blades, the one that they didn't let people in. Yeah, actually, most films that do that try to uh, get awards this way. Um, that's how they get. That's how they do the screenings. They never open it up, even though the rules say they have to have open screenings. They just um, put it in theaters and sold out. Mm-hmm. And I think if they did not choose to go against Bodyguards and Assassin this year, I think they would have much, much better chance of sweeping. Maybe they would have gotten like 10, maybe be the nomination leader, I think, in next year's awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I agree. Best, best screenplay is really just out of the sort of collective nostalgia um, also out of the sort of popular sentiment. Um, honestly, I think, as I wrote in my predictions for the awards, should win. I think all the other four nominees should have won if rather than Echoes of the Rainbow. Mm. Um, I think Eric Lee, though, I think he's a good choice considering who was chosen for Best New Artist. Um, the kid annoyed me. Um, I didn't like Lee Yun Chun in, in uh, Bodyguards and Assassin. Fala Chan doesn't even count as a new new artist because she's acted for years in TVB. And um, Ju Xuan, Prince of Tears, didn't really impress me that much. Yeah. So I think it just sort of boiled down to Aerith. Well, I was really uh, happy with the um, with the Love Hong Kong pick. I believe Michelle Wai. Michelle Wai from Happily Ever After. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Michelle Wai is proving herself to be quite a flashy new actress. Uh, she was quite good in X as well, uh, Hayward Mack film. Um, and I'm really surprised that she totally got ignored, actually. Yeah, it's too bad because she was definitely the best part of, of that film. Uh, I remember when we were talking about it, she kind of stuck out as very strong and, and compared with everybody else who was sort of in it. It's um, almost like she was in a wrong movie. Yeah, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, hopefully she'll be able to get, you know, continue on and get more work and maybe she'll be able to still be eligible for the award next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Paul, you being a, a fan of uh, Accident, I mean, I, I'm really the happiest, actually, the, the most, the biggest pleasant surprise of the whole award is Michelle Yeh winning for Accident. I thought she would have no chance. Um, I was really, really happy that she won. Um, what do you think? Did you like Michelle Yeh in the film? You know, it, I, she was okay. Um, I, you know, I would have preferred to see Michelle Y win, to be honest. Um, she wasn't nominated, so the fact that, you know, she she did win is is okay with me but i i don't know i just when i think of that film i tend to think of the other characters for some reason rather than her i mean i i think of um you know um uh, louis Koo and uh and some of the others i mean even um richie wren i thought was really strong in in the film um with possibly the exception of the the ending scene um mm. but yeah i mean of course, you know, it could be worse. We could have Michael Wong nominated. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of Michael Wong, um, um, they really picked like the best, the best nomination clips this year um, for uh, Overheard. I think one of the nomination clips, they showed the ending of Michael Wong screaming like a girl. Yeah. 
that was quite awesome. And well, also, it was, from, a, it was a high point of the movie. So, there was a high point of the movie and a high point of the show next to the uh, after they showed the reveal scene for Murderer yeah. for uh, for best um, one of the awards. Yeah. Um, um, actually, no, no, no. I, I watched actually, I watched Accident right after the awards. And and I still uh, I quite like Michelle. Yeah, I think she she was a good sort of a, a compliment to to the Lewis Koo characters. She was kind of the hot, uh, not well, okay, the the wild, the more um, the more what's the word, uh, angrier, I guess, and more fierce. Mm. And, and she makes a good sort of antithesis antithesis yeah. to to Lewis Koo's character. And uh, I actually liked her more now. I think I think about the film. Yeah, I can see that. I might you know I'll go back and watch it a bit later, and, and I may change my mind. For me, the only thing that really stood out was the way she died. <laughs> yeah, spoiler if you haven't seen it sorry um yes. so yeah uh so any other any other thoughts or disappointments or um things you'd like to comment on well what do you think about best picture bodyguards and assassin or uh, safe choice well it wasn't just best picture it kind of swept the awards i mean it, it well, won it's in, expected yeah. yeah it won in a number of categories which yep. you know i i can see it it was it was strong um I don't know, you know, uh, I know that the Love Hong Kong film pick was KJ as the, mm-hmm. the best picture. Um, I might have gone with Night and Fog, uh, mm. but I tend to, you know, I tend to prefer Anne Hoy uh, a little bit more than some of the work that she does. It always tends to have a little bit more of an inward focus. Mm. Um, Red Cliff 2, I don't know, it's... it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like when um what was it the return of the king i think was up for uh the oscar and in a way that is is sort of a tribute to the entire yeah, work yeah and i'm not sure if i really i don't know i don't know if i like when award shows do that kind of a thing um but yeah it didn't win so we don't really have to uh, well, I was surprised that Redcliffe Two was so dismissed over the years. I think I, I wonder if it's because uh, it was out last year, New to New Year, and everyone just forgot about it. I, I mean, I, I think it's a really, really solid commercial film, and I think just as solid as as Bodyguards and Assassin. When you talk about when you yeah. when you look at it as a, and blockbuster. I think I think if you look look at it in terms of uh, international, that it will probably do better than Bodyguards and Assassins in the mm-hmm. long run. Mm-hmm. I think that that Redcliffe Two is probably much more accessible, um, in in being that it's you know it's a two parter, it's long, it's really really epic in scope, mm-hmm. and it's got very strong performances by the entire cast for the most part. Um, so yeah, well, well, it was a it was an interesting awards, and we'll have to wait and uh, see what develops over the coming year.
Our East screen pick for this week is Future X Cops, which I can almost guarantee is not going to be up for any awards <laughs> in the next Hong Kong Film Awards. What, what do it you will think, be up for it, It'll be up for a few of the Love HK Film Awards. Yeah, so um, Future X Cops. This is sort of the latest um, science fiction fantasy um, narrative story of some kind coming from Wang Jing, um, starring Andy Lau, who I have to say I was extremely, extremely, extremely disappointed in. Um, I'm not sure what Wang Jing did to convince Andy to do this movie. Uh, and I know that afterwards we were talking about uh, Wisely's Mysterious Files. And yeah, I don't know if this is worse than Wisely's Mysterious Files or not, but they are pretty much on par uh, <laughs> in terms of overall badness. You know, it's... Um, I, I, I don't know, Paul. I, I you know, know, if you ever saw Lilo and Stitch... There's a scene in Lilo and Stitch where uh, Lilo is talking to Stitch and she's drawn a cartoon and she's basically, it's a little cartoon of Stitch and she says, this is your badness level. And it's like all the, almost all the way up to the top of his head. I want to do like a cartoon of Wong Jing and, and say, you know, for this film, this is your badness level and just like <laughs> have it full because this was really bad. I mean, and I was kind of, to be honest, I was kind of excited for it, even though the trailer's looked kind of cheesy and 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 not well done when I had originally seen it, I think back in February or late January. But I was hoping that that was sort of like a rough thing and there was more cleanup that was going to be done before the release. But nope, that's pretty much what we got. And yeah, it was it was bad. So Kevin, why don't instead of me rambling, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story and some of your thoughts on it and then I'll sort of jump back in. You know, I was talking to a, a friend yesterday uh, at dinner, and he he said he had, he runs a blog, and he was asking. Um, he said, "Oh, you guys didn't have a review yet because I was hoping someone would make sense of the story, because I can't." And and this is exactly what we're trying to do here. Okay, um, in uh, the year twenty eighty, uh, Andy Lau plays uh, a super cop, uh, more like a future ex cop to be exact, uh, who is protecting a very famous scientist who has created, I think, a free energy alternative thing. Uh, but suddenly, a group of um, mutated robots decide to come out and try and assassinate uh, the scientists. And in the process, they kill um, Andy Lau's wife, played by Fan Bingbing, um, in what is obviously a paycheck role. Um, anyway, Andy Lau also kills uh, the bad guy's uh, younger brother, which sort of um, sends the bad guy into a, into a angry revenge thing where uh, it sends him back in time to try and uh, kill the scientist when he was young because uh, no one in 2080 saw Terminator. Um, <laughs> so, so then... Um, yeah, they haven't learned the lesson. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We we should we just stop sending people back to anyway. <laughs> um, so then Andy Lau um, decides to also do the same thing, go back to the future, except somehow and uh, and I quote this from the movie, and I'm not kidding. He gets into a different uh, time travel crevice, which sends him back two years before the bad guys arrive. So somehow he has been able to penetrate the police as a as a well, as a police officer for two years with his daughter played by uh, 
the what's what's her name? Uh, the girl from uh, CJ Seven, I mean, Shu Jing. That's her name. Um, and somehow he has been able to penetrate, uh, infiltrate the police force, and 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 work as a cop for two years. And um, Bobby Shu plays a fellow police officer who has a crush on Andy Lau. Uh, again, none of this explained. He just it just sort of jumps back in time. And this Andy Lau has been there for two years already, and and there's no explanation why he would bring his daughter, you know, sixty years uh, before before the present, um, where I'm sure her she will whine that everything seems primitive. Um, anyway, I don't know. Okay, from there on, the bad guys show up, and then Andy Lau has to uh, reveal his his identity as a cop from the future. And and try and stop him from killing the young, very very young scientists, uh, whom they will eventually find. Find. Um, does that cover it, Paul? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> basically, what you've got is you've got um, one part RoboCop, one part uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's Time Cop, <laughs> one part Terminator, and one part Mega Man. Um, oh, and, and a meany, teeny, teeny, bitsy part of Jurassic Park. Yes, yeah. There, there, there's, a, there's a couple scenes that they're kind of copying, not, not with dinosaurs, but with a cat cyborg woman thing. Yeah, it's so all, all, <laughs> all of the villains in this um, are are cyborgs basically, and they're they want to kill this this professor for whatever reason it's not really clear it's not really made important and they fail to do so the as kevin said the main villain's brother gets killed so he vows revenge he decides he's going to go back in time and kill the professor when he's a kid that's fine so andy Lau decides well he's killed his wife he wants revenge so he's going to be the one to go back and stop him so much like terminator there, there's a problem with sending people back in time. They never really elaborate on the, the, the entire scope of the problem. But Andy Lau ultimately travels back with his daughter. Um, and he, he basically assumes a Clark Kent type, type of role to prevent yeah. people from knowing that he's like this super cop with special powers. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you, you've got Andy Lau pretending to be Clark Kent or, or, and at times being kind of like a super superman, a super cop, super future ex-cop whatever um and so the the villains come back at, and they you know they, they they come back after andy lau's been there for two years and i remember a scene very st distinctly where they come back and then the main villain suddenly realizes that andy lau's character is already there how he knows this it's it's not very clear you know it's like he just <laughs> he just suddenly knows um, because he sees the crevice the, oh god something um but yeah, the villains themselves, I mean, they, they kind of are like Mega Man enemies. They each have their own special cyborg power. Um, one, one villain shoots quills. The other has wings. The other has like snakes for arms. Um, and again, it doesn't really explain why these guys are banded together. Um, it, it's, if you've seen ever seen a Power Rangers episode... Um, and you've seen the types of villains that are created in those types of shows. They're very two-dimensional, and it, and these characters here are just like that, which is fine. Um, as one of our one of our one of our movie-going uh, groupmates had said, this was really this really comes off as a film that's directed at kids. The problem is is that the effects that they have here are terrible. 
terrible. Andy Lau, um, when he becomes super future ex-cop, he's basically got this cyborg body armor um, encompassed around him. And basically, they've just keyed on his face onto this this computer you know generated image and it just looks terrible i mean it, in in many ways it's a throwback because you may have remembered seeing films like you know i love maria or the softcore um, um sci-fi porn robo tricks right and they have sci-fi elements and they're used they're not using this was long before they were using cg they were using basic prosthetics and things and those managed to play off much much better than this does it's just it was i don't know if it was too ambitious or they didn't have the budget to do the things they wanted or they the, the company that ended up getting the contract couldn't deliver i think um it was farmed out to uh south korea isn't is, if i remember correctly wasn't that the, all the effects were done by some south korean companies Yes, and obviously the war or the wrong firm because I've seen much much better special effects in, from well, South Korean. And film. that's the thing; it's you know we're saying that this is something that looks like it was kind of targeted for kids, but if you watch a Power Rangers, if you watch some of you know the Cayman Riders or things, the action scenes and the effect scenes you get there are are so much better better done. You know they're just and that that's on TV, and so for this to be a feature film, it just looks terrible. The story really isn't that engaging. Like I said, it's basically a sort of a hash, a hatchet job on um, other sci-fi stories that you've seen. And it's disappointing because I really like Andy Lau. I really, really like him. I look forward to his movies and I really wanted to like this. And it just, it doesn't deliver. It's just really disappointing. I think, I think there, yeah, it's, it's just full of weakness and it just goes, but it, it, the only good thing is that it goes, gets to a level where it's so bad that you can just simply watch and laugh at it. Like yeah. you can heckle it. It's fun to heckle at it. You can set drinking games to it. You can do what, like you can do all sorts of things of this except enjoy it. Like for what it is. Yeah, it does. It, it does have a number of so bad. It's, it's good moments, but it's inconsistent in a lot of ways. Um, and Barbie, for example, Barbie Sue plays, um, a cop, a cop. And, a, and, a, and a love interest in the, the sort of modern day period. And actually, it's not the modern day. It's it's like 20 or 25 years in the future from 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 now. And yet they're still they've still got a lot of like, you know, people are still using the, you know, the uh, iMac and things. It's like, come on, <laughs> guys. Um, OK, so it's a touch screen. You know, it's, it's a touch screen iMac. Um, but even so, it, it's just it. It's very, it's very childish. It doesn't work on a lot of levels, um, you know, and there's just a lot of strangeness in it. The, the, the fight scenes are, you know, the one thing that you would look forward to, um, some, of the, some of the fight choreography. Because they're using so much CGI, it's just, it just looks unnatural. Um, there's, a, there's a transformation sequence between the protagonist and the antagonist that looks like it's trying to borrow something from maybe Transformers a little bit. And it's like, you look and go, why did they just transform? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and there, you know, there's 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 scenes that totally break the laws of physics. Um, character a character like picks up, he's he's got wings and he picks up, he breaks the blades off of the top of a helicopter, and he's holding <laughs> the helicopter with his feet, and he's but he's not flapping his wings yet; they're hovering in in midair. It's just 
it's crazy stuff like that. There's way too much suspension of disbelief. And I think let's just make it simple, Paul. It makes Kung Fu Cyborg look like Avatar. Yeah, it's, <laughs> honestly, it does. Yeah, a Kung Fu Cyborg, for as bad as it was, I felt was a lot more entertaining. Um, and even the few CG sequences that they had were much better rendered than than mm -hmm. these were here. Um, so yeah, it's this is one that if you've if you got nothing else to do, you're a, you know you're a sci-fi geek, sci-fi nerd like me, and you can borrow this from somebody. Eh, it'll kill a few hours, but I would say definitely you, this is not something you want to rush out and buy straight off the shelves whenever it gets released. No, I think if you have a big group of friends and you guys want to watch something ridiculous or annual tradition or something, buy the DVD and then just have a big group and just like just enjoy it. Just just have fun with it. Um, it's not a film to watch. It's not a film for people looking for actual quality cinema. I think it's just a good party film to make fun of. All right, let's move on and talk about our West Screen film for this week, and that is the comic book adaptation turned movie, Kick-Ass. Um, now, Kevin, you've seen Kick-Ass. Have you read the comic book? No, I have not. Have you, Paul? Uh, I have not. I have several friends who've read it and are very excited to see the movie. And so Kick-Ass basically tells the story of a uh, young kid who decides, after some conversation with his friends, uh, he ponders why nobody has ever actually tried to become a superhero. Um, since there are so many people in the world who love reading superhero stories and seem to really be behind all the ideals that superheroes stand for, um, he can't figure out why nobody's done this. So he, he gets an idea that he will send off for um, a costume and you know he will go out and start going on patrol. And as he starts to undertake this new life of crime fighting, he quickly realizes that it's not as easy as it looks. Uh, and he frequently gets himself into all kinds of trouble as a result. And during this course of action, he meets a couple of other uh, people who follow suit and decide to take up a crime fighting superhero type mantle as well. And he gets involved with these individuals. And before you know it, there's almost a what you would call a crime war going on between these uh, caped crusaders, these costumed beings, and a criminal organization. Um, so this film, it, it's kind of interesting in that uh, it got a lot of buzz. I, I was reading a lot of Twitter posts and a lot of blog, blog posts when this came out about, oh, this is a must-see film, especially if you love superhero genre if you read comic books, you know, you're going to love this film. Getting a, really a lot of positive press, with the one sole exception of Roger Ebert, um, who really hammered this film very, very hard. Um, and I'll, I want to talk a little bit about Ebert's review of it, but I want to give Kevin a chance to talk a little bit about his thoughts on it and share some of my own. So, Kevin, what did you think of the film? Because I remember seeing your Twitter post, and it seemed like you kind of had a mixed reaction to it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I kind of agree. Well, I don't fully agree with Ebert. I could see where he was coming from. It's uh, kind of really mean, kind of mean film for me. And 
really the the geeks' reaction, saying, "Oh, it's a satire. It's it's just a movie. It just it's a satire. What? What is it a satire of? Like to me, I don't. I just don't see. Okay, I don't want to be like the morally appalled." Uh, conservative, whatever. Because I think Paul, you know me, and and people who know my writing, people who 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 know my attitude towards movies, I'm not a conservative, but there's just something. It's really uneven. Like one minute it's trying to be a a satire of the superhero genre, and then next thing you know, it's it's buying into the very thing it's satirizing. Yeah. To me, it, it just doesn't know what it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I think that was my my exact feeling is that, you know, the film starts off when. When uh, you know the the character, the, the hero character of Kickass goes out and he starts doing um, his you know patrols and 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 trying to be a hero you know without powers. That's sort of the whole thing. Is that how do you be a superhero if you have no powers? And he gets involved in this in this really big brawl um, where three guy three guys are beating up on one guy and he intervenes and. He, it gets videotaped and it gets put on YouTube. And so up to that point, the film has sort of this really almost gritty, realistic kind of take um, to it, you know, and and it, it keeps making the point that, you know, he doesn't have any superpowers. He's not a hero, although at, at one point something does happen to him that makes him better at doing the things that he wants to do. Um, although it's unintentional, the thing that happens, but it kind of does make him a bit better than average for, for doing those kind of things. I don't want to ruin it with a spoiler. Um, but once it gets beyond that point where he first gets filmed and put on YouTube and starts to get popular, and then the, you have these other hero characters who show up in the form of uh, Big Daddy, who's played by Nicolas Cage, and Hit Girl, um, who's Big Daddy's daughter, then the film sort of it goes against its own logic because and ebert points this out in his review he says you know that that in one scene and you can see this in the trailer you know hit girl goes to town in a hallway matrix style and you know <clears throat> guns and bullets are flying and she's basically you know she kills a dozen guys within a matter of seconds without batting an eye um do, using all kinds of kung fu and martial arts and gunplay and this character really is you know beyond human in terms of some of the things that she does especially for somebody her age regardless of skill level i mean and i think that's where it kind of delineates itself and breaks down is that this first section is really trying to approach it from what if a guy really went out and did this and then suddenly you introduce these other characters who are still very interesting. I think I think that Nick that Nicholas Cage's role was hilarious, and especially when he was talking his big big daddy. Um, um, when I when the, the friend I saw this with had mentioned that he felt he was really channeling uh, Adam West, the Adam <laughs> West version of Batman, when he was speaking his big daddy, and I I agreed with him. And it's really interesting, but it's just very uneven, like you said. It really just sort of goes against its own logic that it sets up initially. Um, and it does, it does, you know, has sort of have a mean spirit. Um, and I'm not really, I, I wasn't really sure what it was trying to be, whether it was trying to be sort of this gritty, you know, hardcore, what if this were for real kind of thing, or it wanted to go more into the fantasy of, okay, we're, we're, here's a real hero, uh, a superhero, somebody that, you know, arguably wouldn't really be this good in reality. 
I think what it was trying to do was trying to have its cake and eat it. It was it wanted to be, uh, it wanted to follow its own setup. That's one of those you know the gritty, um, realistic uh, satire of superhero the deconstruction thing, and then it couldn't avoid not being a commercial film. It wanted to also have fun with it. Yeah, and it was just trying. Yeah, I think it was just trying to be both. And some people like it. I mean, more power to them. They enjoy the film. They they don't have to feel disturbed by the really and quite brutal violence, um, but it for me it just didn't didn't work. I think I had fun. I was laughing at the at the hit girl part where she's you know shooting people in the head, but really out of shock. Like I wrote on my Twitter, I was laughing out of shock. Like as in wow, they really went there, but yeah. not because oh my gosh, she kicks so much ass. But the sad thing is, many people watch it and go wow, she kicks so much ass and laugh. Yeah, yeah. It, there's definitely a shock value to it, and in in many ways, I. And I kind of looked at this as I saw uh, kind of how I saw Watchmen. And I was wondering to myself, you know, because when you see the trailer and when you see some of the promos that they were doing for this in Hong Kong, even though it's a Category 3 film, you don't get the sense of violence because it, you know, it shows these characters in costumes. And I don't, you know, the, the costume superhero piece doesn't it's not really read in the same way outside of the United States because not a lot of people read you know you have expats and things who will read comic books and things but I think not a lot of locals are really into that culture so overall I enjoyed the film um, but I did really feel it was uneven I I don't think it's you know hype worthy as much as I was reading about and I do agree with some of with some of Ebert's points although I don't think it was fair to give this um, a one star, you know, his, his point was that it was just so utterly violent. And the fact that you have a, a kid involved in this violence and it's being put on the screen and that carries meaning, um, that it shouldn't, I mean, I'm sure I could go back and find Ebert review, reviewing something like the Godfather, you know, which has a lot of violence in it or something that he, he'll rave about and glorified violence is glorified violence regardless of whether it's you know a kid dressing up as a superhero and and fighting a thug or crime families fighting you know ultimately it's all representational so you know if you read it as anything other than that i think you're doing it sort of a disservice so i don't really agree with him being as hard on it as he did although i do understand sort of where he was coming from i i think he's, he doesn't have a problem with the violence i think he has the problem with the sort of how a eleven-year-old shooting people in the head had could have no effect on anyone in that film except for the dead guys. Yeah, well, I see, think I, I think that's really the problem. Well, with it. yeah, and I think that um, I think you know he he tries to rationalize it that okay, this is a girl killing people, and she's totally unfazed by it. But you know why not? She was raised by. You know, as it was said in the movie, she was raised by her dad with killing as a game. So if that's the context in which you're raised and you don't know anything else, why would you be phased by it? Um, you know, it's... I, I, I didn't have a problem with that part as much. You know, again, the fight between her and, and sort of the main bad guy, and she's really getting smacked around a bit. I think I, I, I was a bit uneasy in those scenes, but... You know, again, that's the context of the film that, you know, if you're going to be a kid and a superhero, you know, you're probably going to get smacked around. And and I think that that's one of the things they were trying to comment on, because there are, you know, you look at 
early comic books with like Batman and Robin. Robin was a kid, right? Um, in the in the in the video versions, in the movie versions, you know, who who did we get? A, was it Chris O'Donnell in mm-hmm. in the the earlier the the '90s versions, and then um, uh, I can't remember. Was it Burt Ward who played uh, Robin in the TV show? I mean, those were those guys were adults, but Robin in many of the incarnations in the comic books was a kid, and he was often fighting adults. He wasn't fighting other kids, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that in part, that's kind of what the point was. It was saying that, you know, comic books have this history of sometimes portraying kids as the sidekick, kids as, you know, this this helper, this archetype. But you never really see them going through and and having violence done to them in in such, you know, over the top ways as, as we're given here. So. I can see what the, I can see that in, in the context of the comic book and in the context of the movie. But again, my for me, the thing is, it just didn't feel right to have this girl be so good, um, you know, in, in a very John Woo style way. Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning of the film, it's like the, the, the tone is nothing like that. It's like this guy is clumsy, he doesn't know how to fight. He's not sure what he's doing there, but he just has this purpose. He has this ideal. Well, I think that's going to sort of wrap things up for our show for this week. Uh, we'll hopefully be back next week now that uh, everything's pretty much settled down from the film festivals and from our move. We hope to be recording on a regular basis. Um, Kevin, if people would like to follow along with what you're doing, what you're writing on your blog and whatnot, where can they keep in touch with you? Um, as always, I concentrate a lot of my activities now on Twitter, so you can follow me on www. Uh, twitter.com uh, slash the golden rock I believe um, also you can follow um, the films I watch and that I bothered to write about uh, on lovehkfilm.com I use my real name there and I still have at least two more parts to go for the Hong Kong International Film Festival reports and you could see we'll, you will be able to see those at uh, www.lovehkfilm.com slash blog slash the Golden Rock. And uh, one more shout out. Uh, if you'd like to read more of me, um, read of what, more of what I write, uh, you could now go to Yes Asia, um, the Yum Cha section on bottom of the main page. And uh, anything written by Rockman, that would be, be me. All right. That sounds good. And as always, if you'd like to keep up with uh, anything going on with the show or some of the other events, you can visit our main site at www.concast.com. Some of our friends are going off to the, uh, what is it, the Udine Film Festival. And I'd like to get a couple of them to come on and talk about their experience when they come back. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit about the Udine Film Festival in Italy uh, in our next show. If not, well, we will still wish you good viewing, and we will see you next time. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>